Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We are looking at the book of Colossians and this morning my title is this, it's number one. And we're going to look very early in the book of Colossians at, uh, at who might possibly be number one. Okay, don't shout out, no prizes yet. But um, we're looking in the book of Colossians because um, we believe looking at this book together will help us grasp who we are and why we are here for such a time as this. Okay? It's no accident that we have been born between us sometime between the mid-1940s and 2021. You know, we're, we're here for purpose and um, we're here for such a time as this. And Colossians is a short letter written by Paul and his purpose in writing to the believers was to encourage them. He wanted to encourage the believers. This isn't a letter he wanted them to be gloomy about, but one that he wanted them to, to take heart from, yes. to know who they were. He wanted to ensure that the truth of Jesus was not distorted. He wanted to make sure that the good news of Jesus just stayed as it was, pure and simple, with nothing coming in from the right or the left that was going to distort the truth. Specifically, he wanted the believers to know that Jesus is God yes. and that Jesus alone has power to save. And also this, he wanted the believers to know that there's nothing to add to what Jesus has already done. There's no special secret for the particularly bright few. There's no, there's no ritual or special practice that only a few know who are going to make it into the kingdom of God. There's nothing that can elevate our status in the eyes of God at all because Jesus has done all that is needed. And that's why he's writing to the, uh, to the church in Colossae. So we're going to focus today on chapter 1. And uh, we're going to read verses 15 to 20. And this is exactly the point at which I realised my reading glasses are in my case. But I am blessed because my wife is about to help me find them. So, uh, so whilst we're doing that, let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. Thank you. These have become an essential tool. Never get old. <laughs> so, Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 15. I'm going to read into the early part of chapter 2. This is the word of God. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Amen. This includes you, 
who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I want you to know how much I've agonised for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots go down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will go strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Amen. Amen. So, our Father, we want to thank you that we have your written word for us this morning. I want to thank you that we can rely on it as truth. And Holy Spirit, I want to ask now that you come and guide us into truth. That you come among us and open up the word. That you let the words that God has spoken speak for themselves in our lives. That they may change us and uh, lead us on to greater and greater maturity in Christ. Amen. 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 So you will have noticed that as we read that first part of Colossians, particularly, well, the, the section that is verse 15 to 20, 
the writing appears to be different to the rest of the letter. It, it's laid out differently in our Bibles, for starters, isn't it? And um, it's a different style of writing. This, this, these words might well have been written by Paul, we don't know. But it might be actually that Paul was repeating some, some well-known um, hymn or song or, or poem or liturgy that was known, well, certainly to Paul and probably to the church in Colossae as well. He's probably just putting into practice what he later talks about in his letter to the Colossians, where he says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. In, uh, in Ephesians uh, 5.19, he writes the same thing to the church in Ephesus, and he says it's slightly different. He says, sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. What he's saying is encourage one another with the words of truth that we have in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And this is probably just what Paul is doing here. He's taking the hymn that's already well known to him and probably the church and saying, here's some great truth for you. So we're going to take a bit of a closer look at this hymn, sometimes known as the Colossian hymn. Um, and in our Bibles, we read it like this. That's a picture of my Bible, where it's all down in, uh, in one column. But, but it is some, sometimes um, helpful just to think of it a little bit more like this. Now, I know that this is going to look a bit like a trip to the optician. It's not quite as big as it would be on a much bigger screen. However, <laughs> however, pay close attention because I think looking at this passage of Scripture this way is going to help us. It breaks it down into two sections with similar structures. It's almost like this hymn has got two verses. There's verse 1 and verse 2, and they set out to explore similar themes. And so we're going to look at this uh, passage of Scripture this way this morning. And here's the first half, the first verse, verses 15 to 17 on your right-hand side of the screen. Let your left-hand side of the screen. It's my right-hand side of the screen. This is confusing, isn't it? On your left-hand side of the screen. The first half, the first verse. And this, this is what we could call the verse. Jesus is number one in creation. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus himself said to his followers when he was on earth, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's declaring himself to be just that, the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is God and he created everything. He is supreme that means number one over all creation. Some translations might say he's the firstborn over all creation. He's supreme. Why? Well, because through him, God created absolutely everything that's observable. Jesus is number one with cosmic supremacy. The earth. I've got some pictures coming up. Here we go. The earth got its vast array and variety of plants and trees and animals. <coughs> We've got oceans and fish and rivers and mountains. We've got the enormous desert places, the vast wildernesses at the north and the south poles, all the places that are inhabited, all the places that are currently uninhabited, and the coastlines 
and the sun rises and the sun sets, all created by and for Jesus. We've got the skies, we've got the planets, and we've got the sun and millions and millions of other stars. The endless depths of space. All created by Jesus and all created for Jesus. Everything that's observable. And, you know, Jesus also made all the things that we can't see. Now, obviously, we can't put them all on a screen because we can't see them. <laughs> but we can, put some, we can give you an idea of some of them. So things like um, empires, dominions, spiritual authorities. There have been man-made empires over the years, haven't there? The British Empire, the Roman Empire, the Babylonian Empire. But, you know, in this earth as well, and we can't see that there's an empire of darkness. There's a place where the the prince of the the dominion of darkness has his reign. And we can't see that physically in that way at the moment, but we believe those things are there. And the big spiritual question for mankind can often be boiled down to this. Who, Who am I? Who am I? And what am I doing here? And if we just listen to some of the debate around us, particularly over the last few years in in our own modern culture, people are looking for identity. People are looking for hope. People are looking for acceptance. People are looking for love. But everything is being created by Jesus. And everything is being created for Jesus. And I believe that's because Jesus himself brings identity and hope and acceptance and love. All the things a fallen world craves are freely available to mankind. And um, and finally, on that little slide earlier, what has he done? Well, Jesus, he holds all creation together. I was thinking in a week about one of those things we can't see, gravity. Aren't you glad Jesus is holding that all together? And aren't you glad that we have just the right amount of gravity on Earth? I mean, it's a bit of an out-there thought, isn't it? But just think about it for a minute. God has created a world in which, in which mankind dwells, and we are the, not the only place in the universe, but we're the place in the universe where the amount of gravity that is on us all the time, is just right for our lives. Incredible, isn't it? What's in the second half of this verse? Uh, Steve, can you skip back to that slide? Donald, we can't read because it's too small. Second half is this. Jesus is number one in redemption. This is the second verse of the Colossian hymn. Jesus is head of the church. The church who he has redeemed, that is, he's paid the price to buy back. Is he the greatest? Well, he's number one, it says. He's supreme because he was the first to be raised from the dead, never to die again. He's number one in everything forever. Why? Well, because of 
all God's fullness. It, it's in Jesus. And through his death, everything is reconciled to Jesus through his death on the cross. And you know, this has already happened. Everything is already reconciled and being reconciled to Jesus because he has already paid the price. The dominion of darkness with its own spiritual authorities is now in its death throes. It's already defeated. Yeah, we're seeing some of the fight, but Jesus has already defeated everything. He has reconciled everything to God. So this is a hymn that starts and ends with Jesus. It's a hymn that tells the story of God's love and goodness, which starts and ends with Jesus. I was looking up that word in the dictionary, reconcile, that we find in the, in the scripture. What does reconcile mean? And here's a couple of the first things I found on Google, actually. Reconcile, to restore friendly relations between. I like that. God has never been unfriendly to mankind. But we have been unable to approach a holy God because we've been separated from him by sin. But Jesus has come to reconcile, to restore that relationship, that friendly relationship that God wants with mankind. And the second definition here is to make one account consistent with another. My first job, I worked for a bank, went to get my first job, I think I was 17. I, uh, I, somewhere I've got my letter of appointment at home and I think I was paid £3,800 a year in my first job. But, but it was okay because I got a large town allowance because the bank was in Leicester. <laughs> so I ended up being paid £4,010 a year. And that was my first job. And I was um, on the front desk in the bank and tossing up the till at the end of the day. And some days it didn't reconcile. So the amount of money that we thought had come in was different to the actual money that was there. And, and usually it was because someone had made a typing mistake. Usually it wasn't because we'd given out the wrong money. Usually it was a funny figure on a cheque and we were, we were a penny out. When we didn't reconcile, we had to stay behind until we did. <laughs> and I, have, I was there for you know, an hour or two after work looking for a penny or for tuppence, <laughs> trying to get these things to reconcile. Jesus has reconciled our account with God's holy standard. When calculating the sum of our lives, we are far short of God's holy standard. We've all sinned. But Jesus has reconciled. He's put the extra in. He's brought the account up to God's holy standard that we can have friendly relations with God our Father. So, so far so good. Paul has used this passage, his hymn, to summarise Jesus' supremacy in everything. He's number one in creation, number one in redemption, everything created by Jesus, everything created for Jesus, everything reconciled to Jesus. With the finale of the hymn going like this, it says, He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. He made peace with everything. Just to say that another way, there is nothing that Jesus' blood hasn't made peace with, hasn't reconciled to God. 
And, and here's the point. And let me just say, when we first decided to teach through the book of Colossians this season, this is the bit that, for me, I felt would be most helpful for us together. Because this is, this is the rub. This is the point that Paul wants to make after reciting to him. He wants to ensure that his readers know this. And this includes you. We all know who that guy is, don't we? That makes some sense to everyone who did GCSE history. I hope so. It did to me anyway. But, uh, but this includes you and me, created by Jesus, created for Jesus, reconciled to God by Jesus. Paul's point here is that we can't agree with the truth of these verses that go before without knowing ourselves that we are completely counted in to this story of redemption. Completely counted in to the story of redemption and reconciliation. It's not like it's a big thing to restore a broken planet or to hold the countless galaxies in perfect tension, but just a small thing for me to know that my sins are personally forgiven by Jesus. All those things have been achieved by Jesus at exactly the same price, exactly the same cost, the giving up of his own life. And the God that can create you and me and sustain the whole of the cosmos, he's certainly powerful enough to save us. And Paul then goes on to remind his readers, including us, that we were once far away from God. Enemies of his because of our thoughts and actions, unable to be in a relationship with a holy God because of our natural sinful state. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And so here's the result, verse 22, if you're looking at it in your Bible. As we stand before God in his very presence, we are like this. We are holy. We are blameless. We are without fault. Holy, blameless, without fault. We're not just a little bit saved. We've not just scraped by. Jesus doesn't just save us a little bit because he doesn't love us quite as much as other people. We're either saved or we're not. And Jesus saves completely. And Paul's directive to his readers is is simply this. Continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Being holy, it's being set apart for God because we first of all have been set apart, because, sorry, set apart for God because we are set apart like God. God is holy. He's not like us. He's set apart from us. But when we know Jesus, we are also made holy. We are set apart just like God. We are blameless. That is to say, the purity or, or the big Bible word is righteousness. The purity of Jesus is now covering completely the impurity of the believer. We gain Jesus' perfection in God's sight. And we're without fault. God's not looking at the old. 
but is just looking at the new. We're new creations. The old has gone. The new has come. So Paul's directive to his readers is this. Continue to believe the truth and stand firmly in it. Don't live as if this is not true. (laughs) Now, I wrote down, this is almost too wonderful to believe. But it's not. But it's almost too wonderful to believe, isn't it? But God says this is the truth. For all who repent of their sin and turn to follow Jesus, let's not lose the wonder of who Jesus is and what he has done. You know, sometimes it's kind of easy, isn't it, to become a a little bit complacent. And we can gather on a Sunday morning like this and let's worship Jesus. Way! (laughs) If we're encouraged to. Or, hey, if we're not. But, you know, let's not lose the wonder of all that Jesus has done. We are saved, and we are saved completely. It's something to celebrate. It's something to live in the truth of. Let's not turn to the left or the right. Don't somehow think that this, holy, blameless, without fault, believes, um, applies to other believers in Jesus, but not to us. If you and I are followers of Jesus, this statement is 100% true of us. You know that none of us have just scraped in. None of us are a little bit saved. And when we're gathered, let's not feel as if we shouldn't be here. That there are others who are more qualified to be in God's presence. We are equally qualified to be in God's presence because it is only Jesus that qualifies us. He has brought us into God's presence. Just as a little aside, I'll say this. wasn't going to say this, but I'll say this. If I can find the verse... Yeah, verse 22. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Jesus has brought us into God's presence. Can can I demonstrate something, Steve? Be compliant, please. (laughs) Come on, Steve. Jesus brings you into God's presence. Yeah? Yes. He comes right in with us. Jesus doesn't send you into God's presence, (laughs) right? Or or Jesus doesn't sit with God and go, okay, you can come in now. But rather, Jesus says, come on. You and I, we're together. We're going to go into the presence of God. Yeah? What a helpful thing. I find it helpful. Jesus ushers me into the presence of God. And Paul says you must continue to believe this. Don't drift from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Verse 27, remember, Christ lives in you. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, how did we do that? We did that in faith, knowing that it's only Jesus who saves us. Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots go down into him. And let your lives be built on him. You know, if love and gratitude is our motivation, then following Jesus is never a chore. 
See, Paul here isn't advocating following the church or building our lives around whatever the church is doing, but around Jesus. That's our starting point. Build your life around Jesus. Let your roots go down into him. That's who we stand firm on. If we are disillusioned by the church for whatever reason, that will not change until we build our lives on Jesus. That is the starting point. Making his priorities my priorities. Learning to love what he loves. And everything else follows on from there. And incidentally, Jesus loves the church. (laughs) That's not incidental at all, is it? Jesus loves the church. (laughs) Perhaps we're listening today knowing that we do find it difficult to believe this truth and to stand firm in it. Maybe we feel that we have so many demands on our time or on our money or other resources that building our lives around Jesus is not really practical at the moment. Perhaps we're waiting for the quieter day, the calmer season. Let me lovingly tell you that season is never coming. (laughs) There's not a quieter day. There's not a calmer season. The seasons are different, but there's never a quiet day and a quiet season when all of a sudden we can then choose, ah, I now need to start building my life on Jesus. Start today. And that's why Paul's encouragement to stand firm. It's really simple, is it? Just writing, stand firm on what you've believed. It's simple, but it's really profound. Maybe we're here this morning and we're thinking, I'm feeling like I'm a bit of a fraud. I somehow have just scraped in here. And it's all a bit embarrassing, really, because we're talking about believers being holy and blameless and without fault. I think for all believers, there's probably a time when we feel a bit like that. This good news being... It is too good to be true. Look at all these people and if they only knew who I am, doesn't matter. God says you are holy and blameless and without fault. When God looks at me and you, if we're following Jesus, he doesn't see Steve Shackell sitting there with all the Steve's history, whatever that might look like. He sees Jesus. He says, here's a man who's holy and he's blameless and without fault. He's my friend. What a great and powerful thing. And you know, this morning, I'm just going to close, but we'd love to pray for people this morning. If individually we're lacking faith, if we're lacking or or need fresh assurance that who God says we are is who we are. If we're feeling that we are struggling to prioritise being a follower of Jesus or maybe not knowing the reality of being truly forgiven, of having Jesus make us holy 
and blameless and without fault. It may be this morning as I'm talking, there are, in your mind, you're thinking there are some steps I could be taking here to build my life on Jesus. And if that's the case, we'd just love to stand with you in prayer and pray those things together so that together we all know as a body of believers what it is to build our lives on Christ so that our roots go down deep and to be built upon him. He has made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And this includes you. It includes all of us. And as a result, he has brought us into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Isn't that wonderful? We're going to continue in worship this morning. Tim, can you come and lead us? Why don't we stand? I'd just like to pray now. And then uh, either as we worship or, or later on uh, this morning when we're together, if you'd like someone to pray with you, Sharon and myself or Benj or Stephen uh, are around, we'd, we'd just love to stand with you and pray with you that we would know the full assurance that before God we are holy and blameless and without fault because of all that Jesus has done for us. So let's give him thanks. Our God, thank you that that because of Jesus, a way has been made for us to return to friendly relationship with you. We want to thank you that that the accounts have been reconciled, that we are lacking nothing. And Jesus himself ushers us into your presence. We want to ask as a body of believers that you will make this so known among us, that we're so confident of this fact, that it changes the way we relate to one another. It changes the way we relate to you in heaven. It changes the way we relate to our friends and our neighbours and our community. Because in your eyes we are holy and blameless and without fault. We want to pray in this time now that, Father, we know your blessing upon us. We know your spirit writing these truths on our hearts. We commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' wonderful name. With great thanks. Amen. 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 Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.